0: You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. I saw a video the other day where this dad was asking his 14-year-old like some things like, hey, have you ever heard of a fax machine? And the kid just draws a blank. And I'm like, oh, instantly feel old. Now the younger people in the room are like, fax machine? What's that? Or, uh, or dial-up. Uh, or a collect call. Do you remember making collect calls? Anytime you went out of town or buying, you had to buy a calling card. Do you remember this? Like how archaic this feels like? It's like we had to build a, a signal, like smoke signals. Like it, it was that bad. Uh, but I want to take us back for a minute as we kind of start this series. Uh, look at the first picture for you. Does this... Man, does this not resonate? Do you remember AOL Instant Messenger? Or this, everyone can immediately remember what this sound sounds like. The most frustrating thing in the world is in the middle of a dial-up and then someone would pick up the phone, and you're like, no! I've been waiting for a minute and a half to connect to the World Wide Web, as we called it back then, right? Uh, And then it was like, took forever to do anything on the internet. Man, how far things have come. 1994, the internet started. The information superhighway. Doesn't that just sound so nerdy? Remember hearing about it like that? Um, we've come along, even with phones. Uh, I got some pictures of some old, old, old phones. The, the Zach Morris, as I call it. Uh, anyone who grew up in the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I remember uh, in high school, uh, early in high school, I, uh, I had a, my mom had a StarTac, one of those flip phones, you know? And uh, I didn't have my own cell phone, and I went out one night with some friends, and there was a girl there. She said, oh, you got a cell phone? I'm like, yeah. She said, can I see it? I'm like, yeah, sure. And she opens it up, and it says Linda on the screen. I was like, I mean, I share it with my mom, but, you know. Um, That was embarrassing. But, man, uh, in 1995, Newsweek called uh, the Internet a hype. That's never going to last. It's going to be a fad. In 1997, there was 1 million websites. Now there's about 2 billion websites with 400 million of them that are active. Uh, and now we have them in the palm of our hands. We no longer have the, the, the brick, the Nokia, as I call it, uh, which is indestructible, by the way. Uh, if you ever dropped one or run it over with a car, for some reason, these things still work. Do you know they're actually bringing them back? Uh, some parents... Uh, are are so tired of smartphones, they want a a dumb phone, as we call it. Um, And the Nokia is making them again. And you can use a Nokia phone, which is just insane. Kids are like, no, don't do it to me. Uh, But everything changed in 2007 when we first had the iPhone, right? Everything changed because we had computers in the palm of our hand. It was no longer a Palm Pilot or a BlackBerry but we had a touch screen, an actual touch screen that worked. Not just like, why is it not working? You know the frustration of the old touch screens? Kids are like, what are you talking about right now? I feel like we're talking about dinosaurs. Uh, Before we had navigation, you had to go to MapQuest and print out directions and staple them so that you didn't mess them up in the middle of driving. Like I was on step 37, where do we go? Like, do you remember that struggle? Or having an atlas? Kids don't even know what an atlas is. Like we, you had to like trace your route across country on paper. You know how terrifying that would be nowadays? Like That sounds insane. How far we've come. I saw some stats that every single day on YouTube, 720,000 hours are uploaded of video content. If you watched one day's worth of uploaded content of YouTube today, it would take you 82 years to just watch what is uploaded in one day. 74% of Americans surveyed said they felt uneasy leaving their phones at home. Like if you left your phone at home and drove somewhere like a long distance, like, would you turn around? Like at what point would you turn around going out to go get your phones? Some of you are like four hours. I don't know. Um, 48% 48% of Americans felt anxiety when their phone battery dropped below 20%. Who's, who's the, if I'm at like 40%, I'm like, I need a charger. Like I just, I'm just the prepared person. Um, and that has passed down to my children. Here's what is shocking to me. 45% of Americans surveyed said that their phone is their most valuable possession. 45% of Americans. Uh, the other people have Android phones. Uh, apparently. (laughs) Sorry, David, no, it's fine. David on staff is the only one with an Android. We always give him a hard time. Uh, but their most valuable possession is their phone. Yeah, it stores all of our information, our pictures, our memories, all of these things. But we have, we live in a hyper-connected world and it's awesome, right? Like some of you may be checking football scores like right now as I'm speaking, okay? Um, Just wait, just wait a little bit. Uh, but we we are so connected. We can talk to someone who's across the world with the click of a button. That's a beautiful time to live in. You can order food and have it delivered to your house by the time you get home. Like how many people right now can control something from their home with their phone, like right now? Have a show of hands. Have a show of hands. Like thermostat, lights, something, food, coffee maker, whatever it is. Like you can control something from your phone, and that's awesome. But I I I believe in in this series one, this is not me demonizing technology. So let's, let's go ahead and set some ground rules here. This isn't like, hey, we need to become an Amish church and we're gonna, we're gonna shun everything electrical and, 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 and any kind of technology and go back. Um, that's, that's not the heart of this. Uh, the heart of this series uh, is to, for us, with anything, is to make sure that we have a healthy relationship. Uh, with anything in our lives, we should always ask questions to say, is this, a, is this a healthy relationship? Is this a healthy pace? Is this a healthy way that we're operating? And the beauty is, um, it gives us so much opportunity to do good things. It allows us to, to develop relationships that, that because of distance or because of, uh, of whatever couldn't flourish, but it allows us to do all of those things. But at the same time, um, it can become a, a master. It can become something that we're so committed to. I mean, texting and driving, I'm guilty of it, right? Everyone, you're like, oh, I've never done that. You lie too. Uh, <laughs> but but all of us have, have, have at one point or another, we, we've checked our phones, and if we logically think about it for a minute, right? Like we we have, we have, done something on our phones, whether it's for efficiency or whether it's, oh, we've got to respond right away that has endangered our life and the life of other people. So it's gotten to a point where we have to make laws and rules to, to regulate our behavior around what we do and how hyper-connected we are. And here's why it draws us in. The first truth I want to point to is this, is that we have a deep desire to be a part of something. All of us we have a deep ingrained desire in us to be a part of something. In, in the garden, when God created everything, he created man. The first thing that wasn't good was the fact that man was alone, right? So he created Eve. Because, because we are designed to be relational. I mean, even God, the Trinity, is relational. God designed us with a desire to be relational, that we're not to be siloed, doing life on our own, but we're meant to do it with other people, right? That, that's an ingrained desire in us, but we're also have this desire to be a part of something bigger than us, right? In the garden creates Eve and he says, hey, be fruitful and multiply, uh, subdue the earth. Like it, you, have a, you have a calling. So all of us, we have to know that one, we're made in the image of God and God has created in us a desire for community. And a desire to be a part of something bigger than us, and that's where this comes in. We, we, we are afraid, and we fear being alone, and so this hyperconnectivity is is great for us. I mean, but on the on the flip side of things, I mean, COVID for us was a giant uh, petri dish of a of a of an experiment, right? Like we, we learned through shutdowns and through homeschooling and through uh, the disconnect of things that mere electronic relationships just didn't cut it. We were deeply lonely. We, we missed the interaction of being around physical people. We, we missed the interaction being around someone other than just your kids 24 seven, right? Uh, those first few weeks we were like, we can't leave the home, like what do we do? But even after that, we we see that this digital connection is not enough, that we need to be seen. Our our, our lives, we desire this significance. We want our lives to matter. We want relationship, and we want our lives to have substance and to have value. The first passage I want to take us to is Matthew chapter 5. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be Matthew 5. Starting in verse 13, Jesus says this in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. Where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all out all, <laughs> shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let, let's go back and kind of explain this. As, as Jesus calling us salty? Like what 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 is this? One, um, salt is precious. Um, in the ancient world, actually, some people would actually be paid in salt, like it was a valuable commodity. Uh, and so when he's saying, hey, you're the salt of the earth, he's saying, one, that as his followers, all of us, that we are valuable, we have value, um, that our life is worth something. It's not just meant to be on a seven-hour binge of Netflix. Like, that's not the pinnacle of our life. Our, our life is intended to do something, to do something bigger than us. The second thing is that salt adds flavor. I, I, I love cooking. I love food. I love flavors. And, and like unseasoned food to me is like makes me cringe. I don't know if you're like that, um, there was a season where um, very early on when I got COVID and I lost my sense of taste and smell for a while, I was no longer allowed to season the family food because I couldn't taste it. And so I just kept putting more and more and more salt in. And my wife's like, hey, you got to stop. You are n-. I'm like, I, ca- I need hot sauce. I need something because this is doing nothing for me. But salt adds flavor. Like, why why would we pair chocolate with sea salt? Like, that's awesome. Cookies have salt in them. Things have salt in them. Salt brings out the flavor of things in incredible ways. Salt brings out the best of what's there. When Jesus is saying that we are the salt of the earth, we are called to bring out the best in other people. We're called to, to bring to surface the good things that the Lord has done. We're called to bring to the surface and highlight and celebrate God's faithfulness in our life. Another thing, salt helps to heal and preserve. Um, it helps with digestion, inflammation. I mean, you get an IV, it's, it's, it's saline solution. You put eye drops in, it's, it's saline. It, it helps to heal and preserve. I mean, who doesn't love bacon, right? Bacon and smoke, like they're preserved with salt. Salt is a preserving agent. It's intended to heal and to prevent decay and rot. So Jesus, in one hand, says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. You're to season, you're, you're valuable, you're to bring out the best in other people and in the world around you. You're to help be an agent of, of healing and preservation against rot and disease and decay. And then he also says, hey, you're, you're a light into the world. Like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Like he is the light, but he, he's calling us the light. That's a, that's a weighty thing, right? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. They didn't just flick on a light. You, you lit an oil lamp and you didn't put it low because the, the, the light would stay low. You would put it up on something so that it would illuminate the home. And the oil was valuable so you didn't just turn on every light in the house like children do and don't turn them back off. Maybe I'm the only one, right? The struggle, I was like instantly realized I was a dad when I was going around grumbling turning off lights. I don't know if that's just an ingrained thing in us. Okay, I got some head nods, but no one else. Um, I was like, what? It costs a fortune. It's an LED light. It doesn't, but it's a principle. Um, but they would put the light on the stand to illuminate the household. And there, there's two theories when, when Jesus is talking about this city on a hill. Uh, some people think that the city he's talking about is this city, uh, the city of Tiberias. Uh, it's on the Sea of Galilee, and it is built on a hill. Uh, because he's saying, just like a city on a hill cannot be hidden, here's actually the city at night. I know this is modern day, and so it's electricity, uh, but this is Tiberius at night. I think I have a picture of it. Right? So if, if you're out in the open, if you're on the sea, um, a city on a hill is something that you would spot from a distance. You could see the, the light illuminated and it would, it would draw your attention. You would use it as a reference point. You would, you would, it would, would stand out amongst everything else. It wouldn't be concealed. It would be displayed. Another uh, thought, it was uh, the city of Safet. Um, it is the, the highest city in Galilee and in Israel. Uh, here's a picture of this city. It is built on a hill. So it's uh, the highest point in all of Galilee. Um, And the Jerusalem Talmud mentions um, that this is one of the five elevated spots where fires were lit to announce a new moon and festivals during the second temple period. And so this is a city of of these five cities that that were high in elevation that they would put lights at to illuminate to people to signal the changing of seasons and stuff. So he's saying just as a city is on a hill that it cannot be hidden, you, me, we are the light of the world. He's saying, and let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. He's saying there's a, there's a, there's a pattern here. It's not stand up on the mountain and say, hey, everybody, look at me. Look how awesome I am. He's saying, hey, in the same way, just like a city is on a hill for all to see let your good deeds meaning one implying that you're going to do good deeds not like if you feel like it or maybe should i as you do good deeds people will see them and then everyone will see that it is god working in you and god receives the glory and god receives the praise so he's saying hey just as a city on a hill cannot be hidden this is how you should live your life. Be a preserving agent, be a healing agent. I mean, light gives safety. Every light has a source. Light gives us direction. I mean, you hear a noise in the middle of the night, what do you do? You flip on a light, right? Because light illuminates, it, it, it allows you to see the scenery. I remember early on, like my kids would, would creep down in the middle of the night if they had a bad dream, Sometimes they cry, but as they were little, they would come down. And the most terrifying thing in the world is when it's pitch black and they, like, come right next to your face and start whispering, hey, I had a bad dream. Like, that's part of a horror movie, right? Like, just face-to-face, like, waking up like this, hey, I can't sleep. (laughs) Like, neither can I for the next four hours now because I'm terrified. Like, light gives us safety. It allows us to have direction. So, if, if the hyperconnectivity gives us extreme potential, right, to advance the gospel, let's, let's be honest. I mean, there is millions of people who actually watch church online, who listen to podcasts, who listen to sermons. Some are listening to this sermon right now as I'm speaking. Not right now, but they're going to later. And technology has allowed us to do that. So I'm not demonizing it, I'm not saying it's it's evil. What I'm saying is, is there is a high potential for us to do incredible things for God's kingdom, to stay relational, to care for people, to love people, to be a city on a hill. But also, at the same time, there is a high potential for us to just live very comfortable, meaningless lives. And here's what I'm trying to say is that many people are overwhelmed, but living underwhelming lives. We, we, we get so many notifications. We get so many things that are, that are pulling us in so many different directions that we have intentions of being this, of being salt and being light and of, and of advancing God's kingdom and telling people about the, the saving grace of Jesus, the greatest news in all of history and all of humanity, right? But in the same time, we are pulled in so many different directions. We we have notifications going off. We've got this to do. We've got this that we want to do. And all of these things are vying for our attention, our affection, and our devotion that the great things we just don't have enough for. I'm going to show you a picture of a gentleman. I'm going to absolutely butcher his name, but it's Yvonne Chouinard. Um, He is the owner and founder of the brand Patagonia, if you've ever seen the outdoor brand Patagonia. Uh, And in 2017, Forbes had an article and listed him as one of the most successful billionaires. Um, And in reading that and in being interviewed, he was actually mad. Um, He was furious. Um, He was furious at himself because he... They define him as a businessman, but he, he took the term offensive because that's never what he desired to be. Um, he, he said that, that he started out just having a love for the outdoors and for hiking and for climbing, uh, but somewhere along the way, business just kind of took over and the, the insult to him was that he was called a successful businessman. So what he decided to do was to give the company away. Um, he decided to, to take all of his Fortune and all of his stock in Patagonia, uh, which wasn't uh, publicly traded, um, and to put it into a, a trust and into an organization that would actually help benefit the environment uh, and 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 do great things for for humanity. And it says the structure the statement said was designed to avoid selling the company or taking it public, which would have meant the change in its values. He said that that along the way that he. He never intended to get to this point, but the structure of it, he never wanted to to change the value of what he wanted to stand for. Early on in his life, um, some years he spent more than 200 nights outdoors, sleeping outdoors. And it wasn't until the age of 40 that he actually had a tent. So he like loved being outside. Um, He rode freight trains uh, through Arizona, and at one point he spent 18 days in jail uh, and his charges were this. It was wandering around aimlessly with no apparent means of support. Um, I don't know if he's, that's kind of the definition of a teenager at sometimes, right? <laughs> Just plain. But wandering around aimlessly with no apparent means of support. Um, what's interesting is that the success didn't define it and the freedom of youth didn't define it for him either it was in doing something purposeful that brought value. It was actually in doing something that was beyond him that was like, this, this, is, this, is, what I'm, this is what I wanna do with my life. I don't know if he's a believer or not, um, but the, the same is, is, is true for you and I. Um, Matthew chapter six, verse 22. Um, Jesus is, is teaching and he's talking about wealth and he's talking about money. and He's talking about greed. And in the middle of that, we, we see this, this snippet that we're going to look at. Verse 22, he says, Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness how deep the darkness is. So in this middle of this passage, uh, we, we see these two verses and they're, they're true in context, but also true as a principle. And even in cultural context, there was a very strong uh, belief in relation to physical um, uh, health and spiritual health. So the, the physical health of someone was very indicative of the spiritual health of someone else. Uh, but it's it's so true that like, what comes in is through the eye. What we consume is what we what we see, what we take in. The eyeball in itself is crazy and fascinating. Uh, we can see 10 million different colors, which is like. I go to Home Depot and I'm like, I don't know, green, you know, like, it's m- m- f- feathered mauve or something. I'm like, what? Um, but it's impossible to sneeze with your eyes open. Did you know that? I kind of tried it when, there was, when I read this. It was like fake to sneeze. Um, we can see the light of a candle from almost two million or two miles away. We can see one candle. If the human eye were a digital camera, it would have 576 megapixels. 80% of all learning comes through the eyes. 80%. 80% of what we learn, of what we, be, are the things that our, our behavior is modeled after, is by what we see. Now, I, I did some research in this because, like I said, this this whole message and series, I'm, I'm not speaking to anyone. I'm, I'm talking to myself in this. I, I looked through. I saw this where you can look at. I've talked to where you can see your screen time, but you know, you can look at how many notifications if you have an iPhone that you get in a week. Here's mine. This is a. This is just. Being honest, uh, this is how many pickups I had. The average of, a, of the week was 106 times I picked up my phone last week. 106 times I picked up my phone to do something. And then uh, this was the number of notifications. Uh, I got another picture, 92. So 92 different times throughout the day, my phone was dinging, was, was saying, hey, I need, you need to do something. Hey. Now, some of it's work, some of it's email, some of it's communication with other people. But that's a lot of being pulled. And actually, I think mine is on the lower end, to be honest with you. But it, it's, it's great to be notified. It's great to have access to these things. But if we're doing something that's actually valuable and important and we're being pulled in every different direction, is it good or is it, is it a hindrance? Do you know that the the times that I have the most, like, notifications, calls, emails, uh, texts, whatever it is, um, is not at night when I'm watching Netflix. It is actually when I'm trying to study for a message. It's interesting. In the middle of the day when I'm, when I'm trying to study is when all of these things are vying are for my attention. But when I'm like, hey, you know what? You've been there. It's like, oh, it's 9 o'clock. I got time for, for an episode of, of whatever you're going to watch. Um, and... Everything is just created to like, hey, just make it really easy for you. Because it ends on a cliffhanger, right? Every single episode of whatever series you're watching. You're like, is that person going to die? I don't know. I have to wait till the next one. And then Netflix is like, hey, I'm going to start the next one in three, two, one. You're like, I'm already here. Okay, go. You know? Don't act like you've never done that. You're like, I'm just going to watch the first minute to see how the other one ended. And then 30 minutes in, you're like, I just watched another one. But it just, it's just created to, to just, to draw us in. It's created to make it very easy. Have you ever gotten to the end of your Facebook feed? No. Because there isn't one. It's endless. You, you pick up your phone to be like, oh, I need to schedule this. And then, oh, I got this notification. As I'm doing this, what, Apple News just said two things for me. Uh, it's it's. And then you start on a deep dive, and like 30 minutes later, you're like, what was I going to do? Do you ever do that? It's it's vying for our attention, and it comes in through the eyes. They did a study where they tried to get people to to sign up to turn off every notification for a week. And do you know what? They couldn't find anyone to participate. They actually had to shrink it down to just 24 hours, and 30 people participated. Like... They said, hey, does anyone want to do it for a week? No one would do it. And those 30 people that did it that actually said years later, that experiment for just 24 hours actually shaped how they set up notifications on their phone because of how freeing it was. Because of of, of just being able to strip away all these things for a minute was so healthy. I wholeheartedly believe that two of the main causes of spiritual decay our one is numbness. We, we get numb to things. The hyperconnectivity is great, but it also brings so much to our face. Like we 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 see so much. Yes, it's great to know about, about tragedies, but we live in a Guinness World Record society, meaning that the only thing that gets our attention is the fastest, the biggest, the most extreme, the most intense, the most insane. Because we have become so numb to the average. We, we hear about a tragedy and it breaks our heart. But then there's another one. And then, and then the next disaster and the next thing happens. And, and so it's just, it's almost a cycle of numbness because we get so used to it. But the problem is, is that when, when, when images come up or when, when things come up or when, when things that that are are not in line with God's ways come up and we're so used to it, the numbness sets in. It's just like that, that old analogy of a frog in water, right? You put it in boiling water, it's gonna jump out, but if you slowly raise the temperature, it will boil alive, which is false, by the way, which shook my world. I always thought that was true but it's just this this numbness can create death. The second thing is distraction. Um, Distraction is actually, if you look at the word, it's a French word for a form of torture and execution, of of tying up someone and pulling them in different directions. The, The word for that form of execution was distraction, being pulled in different directions. And generally, when you try to do the things that are important, there's going to be a a, a barrage of distractions of all these other things trying to get our attention, our devotion, our our adoration, all of those things. So we have to be on guard. Uh, My wife's email, I had permission to share this, uh, her her personal email gets um, very overloaded. Like the other day, she could, had almost 100,000 emails uh, that were unread. And it was to the point where she couldn't even send an email anymore because it was so full. It was like there, there was just so much capacity because it's like all of these things that you just, you buy something and you get an email and you buy something, you get an email. And so we're going through and we're trying to delete all of these subscriptions. But it's like, we don't have margin. We, we have so many things coming for us. I've got to hurry. Next thing is this, God's word is our lens, not the world. We have to have a biblical lens for viewing the world, not a worldly lens for viewing the Bible. We have to look at what we do, what we see, what we take in from God's biblical view, and not, well, well this is this what, the, what the world does, or this is what's acceptable over here. Because you can, you can find anything but God is saying that we need to find truth. Like, the old standards don't cut it. You look at old standards for medicine in the 1920s and the 1800s. Like, it's, it's, it's cr- like, one of the practices was, was bloodletting. It was like, well, we're just, the infection's in your blood, so we're just going to drain out on the blood, and the infection's going to be gone. And then people died. They're like, that's weird. Uh, or cough syrup in the 1800s for children had heroin in it. What? Like that blows my mind. They're like, yeah, we're doing that because the, the cocaine isn't working and the drugs here. So when you switch it over to heroin, because that's going to be better for them. You know, kids cough. You got to address it soon. Uh, I'm so glad that we have better medicine, that we have better standard practices, that we've learned more. Just because the world says this is a standard practice does not make it right. We stand on God's eternal word. God's John 1 says, In the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed from the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is the word. He is eternal. His ways bring life. His, bring, his ways bring light. We cannot try to adopt a standard practice that the world pushes. We don't need to bury our heads in the stand, but we need to say, you know what? I'm creating boundaries in my life. I'm pursuing God and God's ways. And just because everything wants my attention doesn't mean everything gets my attention because my devotion is to the Lord. So here's where the rubber meets the road, right? One, the last thing is this. Margin will never create itself. It's been very rare that I've ever said, hey, I've got four hours of free time in my life right now, in my schedule. What am I gonna do with it? Have you ever? When was the last time that you said, hey, I've got free 20 minutes? No, we, we pack everything in. We have things vying for our attention 24-7. We have things pulling us in, in different directions. Margin is never going to just create itself. Uh, uh, awesome pastor Craig Rochelle said, no one ever stumbles into intimacy with God. It's so true, Right? No one, no one ever just like, you know what? I was walking and I was just going through life and all of a sudden I just got to this point where like I, I, I started pursuing God like so intently and it just, it just happened all of a sudden. No, it, it takes like discipline and margin to create healthy rhythms and practices in our life that we spend time with the Lord. You're not just walking through your day, scrolling through Netflix and all of a sudden you're, you're in the presence of God worshiping, and reading his word. Like you, it's a discipline that we create, Right? Anyone love sushi? I love sushi. Um, I love, sushi is not complete without wasabi because that's the good stuff. That takes away everything in your nose, right? Uh, it just cleanses your whole brain at times. Uh, I'm a glutton for punishment too because I'm like, I do it. I'm like, oh, it's horrible. Let's do it again. Oh, it's horrible. I just keep going back. Um, but the so- wasabi that we eat is actually not wasabi. It's just green horseradish because wasabi is actually really, really, really expensive. Um, it is one of the hardest plants to grow. I actually got a picture of it. This is a wasabi root. Um, it is the one of the most difficult plants to grow. Um, it's grown unlike anything else. It needs plenty of water, but it can't be submerged like a water lily. So water kind of flows over the top of it uh, in these water beds, something that we don't commonly see in North America. Um, access is really hard. Um, It's said that one farmer, it takes almost six years for him to find viable seeds of a wasabi plant to actually plant a crop of it. Um, Temperament. There's too much humidity, the wrong nutrients, it can wipe out an entire crop. Um, Development. It takes over a year to mature, which means farmers have to be patient before any money comes in. Um, And scale. You can't grow wasabi on a large scale because it's so prone to disease and infection that one, if you have it all together, it can totally wipe out a crop. Um, Here it is growing. So it needs enough water, but not too much, but not too little. It's like this weird Goldilocks thing going on. Um, In order for it to grow, it has to have the perfect environment. It it, it needs to be created. Um, It needs to have the right environment around it. Margin in my life and margin in your life is never just gonna pop up. You're not gonna get a notification today that says, hey, you've got nothing going for your attention today for the next four hours. What I'm saying is that we as followers of Jesus, if we have a high calling on our life, if we desire to be salt and to be light and advance the gospel, we want to have deep, meaningful relationships, Uh, we want to be connected with other people, we want that life, but we feel like things are just mundane. Maybe it's because we're giving so much attention and affection and time to the things that maybe don't matter. So my prayer is that through this series that we would just evaluate our relationships. We would evaluate how we see things. One thing we tried to start in our family, it's been uh, hit and miss, is Tech Free Tuesdays. So at, at night, on Tuesday, sometimes when the kids get home after dinner, every device gets put away, and we just hang out. And you know what's weird? We have conversations. We play games. Some of you are like, I don't want to play games with my kids. But it's, it's face-to-face time. My challenge is we just do something to create margin in our lives, in our families, in our rhythms to say, hey, instead of being pulled every different direction, maybe I can apply everything that I have in one direction. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word that is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Father, I pray that, that as we uncover and as we look at our connectedness with the world around us, that God, we would assess those relationships. God, we would assess the, the value that it's adding to our lives our limited lives on earth to advance your name, King Jesus. So God, give us wisdom, give us understanding. Help us to be salt and to be light to the world around us. Not for our good, but for your glory and for your namesake. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome Sunday. And we'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.